Here to help kick us off on that is our own Max McLean. Max will go right to Philippians. And get your Bibles ready if you want to follow it in the NIV, the New International Version, or you may want to just lay it aside and just listen to him. But I assure you're in for a powerful treat as Max launches us now in our official walkthrough calming, starting with the book of Philippians. Would you welcome Max here today, back home to Skyline? Thank you so much. My third visit to Skyline in the last uh, two and a half years. Last year I had the privilege of launching Route 66, Know the Bible More in 2004, and this year coming back to begin the calming initiative. And what I like so much about doing this is because it just so serves our mission, which is to serve the Church of Jesus Christ with compelling presentations of the Bible that evoke a deeper desire to know God. And so we want these presentations not to be an end of themselves, but rather a catalyst that encourages people to devote time in God's Word. And to help you launch the Calming Initiative, I want to present the Paul's short letter to the Philippians. Now, let me give you a few thoughts to help you receive God's Word this uh, morning. Imagine Rome in the year of our Lord, 61 A.D., a scant 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. A small house. Outside the house stand members of Caesar's elite imperial guard. Inside the house sit two men, one young Timothy, a Greek from Lystra, who's at his mentor's side. The other, the great apostle himself, Paul, considered by some the most dangerous man in the empire. Why? Because he was the architect of the greatest movement of faith the history, uh, uh, history has ever uh, recorded. A man who could go into any major cosmopolitan city, begin to teach, enter into public debate, and within no time he would leave a church there. He was an incredible and therefore to the Romans a dangerous leader. And he sits, uh, as he thinks, as he sits there, he thinks about his brothers and sisters uh, in Philippi, who as part of their stewardship of God's grace have uh, sent Paul some uh, support to comfort him during his imprisonment. And they are also very discouraged because they, they hear the reports that this incredible life is about to end in a filthy Roman prison. He's chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard 24-7. He can't uh, sleep. He can't go to the toilet without somebody watching him. It's totally dehumanizing. In the middle of this glorious career with the most important work still ahead of him, he's threatened. He's in chains, threatened with execution. And his friends in Philippi, everybody wants to know why. Why does God allow this to happen? And so Paul turns to Timothy, motioning him to prepare to receive his response as to why God allows this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he 
who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I, I have you in my hearts. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel of Christ because of my chains. Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. They do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will serve for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, so that as now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life, or by death. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ may overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being very nature God, did not consider in equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. And even if I am being poured out as a, as a drink offering in the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you so you too should rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, for I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, he's proved himself, and as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon. And I, to say, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my fellow worker, fellow, your fellow worker, fellow soldier, who was your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Indeed, he longs for all of you. And he was distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, 
I'm all the more eager to send him to you so that you may be glad and that I may have less anxiety. <laughs> Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor men like him. For he almost died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a, a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision. We who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Yet, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this. I've already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not think of myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Not on some point you think differently. That too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, dear brothers, and, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears. There are many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are on earthly things but our citizenship 
is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to put everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you know I love and long for my joy and my crown. This is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, dear. I plead with syndicate to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women who have contended at the, gospel, at the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's admirable, whatever's lovely, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you had been concerned, but you, you had no opportunity to show it. I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. But it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to your 
the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. All the brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is God's word. And through Paul, God shows us What's that word? Calming. Calming grace that allows him to respond to whatever circumstances life brings his way. Paul tells his Philippian friends who want to know why God would allow his glorious career to end in a Roman prison that he's telling them that his life, The value of his life is not determined by the circumstances. It's determined by his goal. And what's that? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul has the grace to say, as bad as this is, it's going to turn out for my deliverance. God is going to use it for His good and my good. His will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, may, I don't know what it is. I may never know what God's up to. But even if it looks bad, I know that through the lens of Christ, this is good. Now, when I read that, I can say without any question, I'm not there yet. I know all of you are. But you know what's interesting? This is where God wants us to be. But what I find very, very interesting that Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. That church had not been started very long ago. It had relatively new believers and it had people in it just like you, just like me, with the same circumstances, the same anxieties that we go through all the time, and they're trying to put it together. And you know what Paul says to them with enormous confidence? He said that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul says the thing that makes life, life is Christ. To live is Christ. Nothing gets in the way of that for Paul, whether living in plenty or in want, living in paradise or in prison. And he tells us why in Philippians. He says, because Christ humbled himself. And this will be my last point. In John 17, just before Jesus is crucified, he prays to the Father for, Jesus says this, for their sake. I consecrate myself. For their sake, I go to the cross, that they may be consecrated. What does this mean? It means this. If Paul says, and Paul knows this, if Paul says to live is Christ, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, for me, to live is Paul. To live is Pastor Jim. To live 
is Max. To live is you and you and you and you. Paul says that the cross means that Jesus was willing to do anything. He was obedient unto death to have you live with Him forever. Jesus is saying, I gave up everything. My life, the reason I left the Godhead, everything I am doing now in heaven, interceding for you on your behalf, it's because why? Because for me, Jesus says, to live is you. To live is us. Can you imagine that? That's what Jesus is saying. And we get a, just a tiny, tiny glimpse of that. And Paul is saying, I only have a tiny glimpse of this. And I want to get more. But if we can get a tiny, tiny glimpse that Jesus says, for me to live as you, then all of a sudden we can get this calming grace that allows us to press on toward the goal, to win the prize to which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Max McLean. Awesome, brother. Awesome. Yep. Wow. You may be seated. I have most of my life have heard that Paul saying for me to live as Christ, but I never heard anyone ever say until Max said it that what Jesus is saying by his willingness to go to the cross for me to live is Jim or Max, or your name. That gripped me in the last service. And I felt stirred and nudged by the Holy Spirit to give people an opportunity to receive Christ. I had not felt so in Saturday night service, 815. But once again in this service, as you were talking right here at the ending, that stirring of the Spirit of God give an opportunity for someone here. For someone here, you're at a incredible crossroads of life. This is your moment that God has supernaturally given to you to receive Him as Savior and Lord. Why do we need a Savior? Because we need to be saved from what? Saved from ourselves, from our own sin. Sin is spelled S-E-L-F, our own self-centeredness that leads to our own self-destruction. We need to be saved from that, our sin. And we need Him as Lord. We need Him to be in charge of our life, the boss of our life. For somebody here, this is making sense to you. And there's a tug on your heart. And that tug has a name. It's called the Holy Spirit of God himself. Saying, come on, come on. Now's the time to make me Lord and Savior. Now's the time for you to come back to me. Some of you once knew him. Some of you were once very excited about him. And you've taken a detour. You headed south. Now's the time to come back. Some of you maybe didn't know what it means to become a Christian. Many people in America think... Being good and going to church makes them a Christian. That does not enter you into the gates of heaven. In fact, it says in the scripture, he will say, Lord, some will say, Lord, Lord, he says, I do not know you. Depart from me. But I don't want him to respond that way to me or to you. So how we can be assured of that, he will say, come on in, is when we acknowledge him as Savior and Lord. How do we do that? 
by praying. Praying is just a way of saying we talk to him. It's not fancy words. In fact, he's not really concerned with your words. He's concerned with the attitude or the spirit of your heart. And for somebody here, this is your moment to say, Jesus, I need you as Savior and Lord. In the last service, we gave opportunity for people to pray to receive Christ. Eight people indicated by raised hands after that. Eight people indicated. One couple right up here. Sharp couple. They came and just talked to me afterwards. Young couple. And you could see already the life transformation was beginning to happen from just moments before when they decided to say, Jesus, I need you as Savior and Lord. For somebody here, this is your moment to walk in to the transforming experience of life, to receive him. So we're going to do that in a moment. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. If you prayed out loud and there was only one or two or five or ten of you, that might embarrass you. We'll never do anything to embarrass you here. But I'm going to ask everybody in the auditorium to pray the same prayer out loud to help you in saying it out loud. But this is specifically for those of you that want to receive him now as Savior and Lord. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And follow me, if you would, one phrase at a time. Dear Jesus, I need you as Savior and Lord. Come into my heart, into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. And I ask you to become my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. No one looking around. All eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer for the purpose of receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, wherever you are, just raise your hand high so I can see it. Raise your hand high. Thank you. Keep them up. Keep them up. Don't put them back down. Thank you. Any other? Wait just a moment for you. I'm seeing so far four hands. Anybody else? Four hands. Five. Five. Anybody else? Anyone else? Those of you that have your hands raised, I've seen five so far. If you'll just look at me, the decision that you're making. Those of you that raised your hands, go ahead and open your eyes and look at me if you would. The rest, keep your eyes open. The decision you made, ma'am, sir, is the most important decision you've ever made. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for having the courage to do that. We want to encourage you in your walk with Christ, your new walk with Christ. We want to ask you to do when we dismiss the service in just a moment. There's a white tent directly in front that says across the front of it, I raised my hand. If you'll just stop by there for a moment and tell the person there who's ready to greet you, say, I raised my hand. And they will give you some free material to encourage you and to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Father God, thank you for these five and perhaps others I did not see who made this commitment today and today walked into new life in Christ. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church family, you want to express your delight and your joy for these five who have received Christ as Savior and Lord. Awesome.